Well, my name's Adam, if we haven't had a chance to meet, and uh, the first thing that I get to do this morning is also the saddest thing that I get to do. Uh, kids, it's your turn to head on up out of here. You, uh, uh, you got your teachers that are in the back. They are headed towards the back. You can follow them on out and, and head to your class. Have a great day. As they go, would you please send them with a prayer? Jesus, would you bless our kids? Amen. Oh, man. That is one of the coolest ever. There is so much hope that I have for our church because of them. That is, man, they're just cool. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> I just like listening to them go all the way down because that just, I mean, there, there's so much, you think joy. I mean, it's, it's going downstairs right now. And what we're left with here is <laughs> I was not going to go there, but it just, like, how do you not when it just, it's, it's just, I know that I put the ball on the team myself, but it was there, you just got to do something with it. So why don't we just pray to get us back into uh, uh, the place where we ought to be after worship like that. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just be with us now. I pray that you would blow through this building. I pray that, that we would feel you rest on our hearts. I pray that we would be aware of you here now as we meet together. But I pray also, Lord, that as we look back over the week that we just lived, I pray that we could see you in that week as well. I pray that you could even go back and adjust events that we could see or maybe in the moment we didn't feel you. I pray that you would reveal where you were. Father, I also pray that you would come into anxiety and we just speak to that anxiety and say you have no place here. And so we, with the authority given by Jesus, tell anxiety to go in the name of Jesus and into that place. We pray peace. Lord, as we hear your word today, would it call us to the place where we know you are with us, and that knowledge that you are with us will bring us to the place of knowing that nothing can be against us. In Jesus' name, amen. Oi, well... I got to, so I just want to say one thing. This is, uh, I say this each year as, uh, as, 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 this is rendering respect to one, uh, uh, one half of the founding pastors of, of our church. Jenny Hodges is one that, that I say this for every year. Um, I know that, that it is not Christmas time, and so having a Christmas decorating, decorating party before Thanksgiving even happens, I know that is an affront to some people. I don't understand those people, but I know that it is an affront to them. So all I will say is that this is really, we do this on, on the Sunday uh, before Advent, and it just happens that sometimes that's before Thanksgiving, but that allows us to come into Advent next week, and, and we are ready, the, the, the house is decorated, and all of those things. So that is my excuse for why we do it, but it, truth to tell, I would have had this decorating party before Halloween if I had my way. 
Um, but this is kind of a cool transition. This, this is kind of the end of, on the church calendar, a time that, that, that some churches would call the ordinary time. The time between Pentecost and, and Advent. The time where, where green is the church color. And so um, green as the color on the cross will be retired until next Pentecost. And so this is the last, like it's kind of just that cool transition day. And in that we get to prepare for what's coming. And what's coming is, is quite a blessing. But before we get there, we are wrapping up a journey that began on September 4th. Uh, going line by line through the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Ephesians church. The New Testament book that we know as Ephesians. Thinking about all that's happened from when we began this study. All of the things that have happened as we prepared for the series. The life that happened from when we began to even study and, and write and get ready and announce all of that stuff. All of the life that we've lived together over the past three months as we've gone through this together. It happened really fast. I can say that it has been, for me at least, it has been an amazing journey through the Word of God. Some of these were uh, easy stretches. Some of it was, was kind of awesome to hear about what the Father says about His kids. Some were rocky, unstable parts that challenged us just to not quit. But all of this is an, is an example for why Paul chooses to close the, the letter in the way that he's going to close it with us. The reason he would end with reminders and encouragements, the reminders and encouragements that he's going to offer us today. The basic point for the, the ending of this letter demonstrates that everything else that he wrote is real. Everything else that he wrote in this letter matters a great deal. Everything else that he wrote in this book, he's writing about something that has the power to change everything. So let's finish this book together. You can join me in, in Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10. A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. That is a really cool final word. Be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. See, Paul knows that, that what he is writing in this letter marks out the battlefield for the soul of humanity and the ministry of reconciliation. Also, that this battle has Jesus, the world's foremost force multiplier, in the fray. The battle's real, but Jesus is with us. Even so, even with the presence of God, with the presence of the Savior, He knows the pain, He knows the hardship, He knows the discomfort of being confronted with this indictment of our own selfishness. The indictment that comes from the reality of meeting Jesus and being face to face with our identity. 
The testimony of Paul is a testimony of a Jewish political leader and a religious terrorist. This Jewish religious leader and, and, politi- and religious terrorist experienced the inbreaking of the gospel of Jesus and saw the trajectory of his life change forever. On the road to Damascus, we see this at the beginning of, of the letter. We see this captured in Acts chapter 9. He was met by Jesus. He was following his own track at this time. He was following his own ambitions, a nature. He was full of purpose. It was his own purpose. He was carrying out what he thought was right. He was met by the grace of God. He had the deathly stench of his worldly identity pointed out. He was called to a life of change through the power of the Holy Spirit. The terrain that's marked out is the battlefield. The terrain marked out by that encounter. The terrain marked out by all of our encounters is the battlefield. And in our culture, it's easy to dismiss that battlefield as something of fantasy. As such, there are those that that dismiss it out of hand and those that make it a super reality, even to the point of of, of worshiping that that reality. This is, is certainly a dichotomy of extremes with not a lot of room in the middle. Two common views of evil and spiritual warfare make this point overemphasis and underemphasis. One leads us to look for a demon behind every bush. One allows us to, to live in, in a false reality that the devil made me do it. One extreme allows us to be in the place that everything is just the, the enemy working against me. The other side of that dichotomy, though, is the one that ignores the spiritual element, that ignores the fact that the evil is a force working to our detriment. This tainted worldview leads us to some unhealthy reactions to the spiritual battle that rages around us and within us. N.T. Wright, in his book, Evil and the Justice of God, wrote this. This is his indictment of, of Christians and how we interact with the spiritual realm. First, we ignore evil when it doesn't hit us in the face. Second, we are surprised by evil when it does. And third, we react in immature and dangerous ways as a result. I feel like N.T. Wright knows me better than I thought he did. It is easy for me to ignore evil when it isn't ever-present. It's easy to ignore evil. And then when it smacks us in the face, it's a surprise. Where did that come from? And my reaction, because of the injustice of being smacked in the face, usually leads me to quite a a level of immaturity. I know that's a shock to you all. Paul is giving us a reminder of the battlefield, a reminder of the warfare, and a reminder of how to fight this battle as we process the movement from death to life to realize our identity as adopted children of God. Remember, this was the thrust of the book, that we were 
brought in this encounter from Jesus from death to life. To realize our identity as children of God, that road is marked. This is the battlefield. Spiritual warfare has its origin in a rebellion of angels against God. This is an historical event captured in Scripture that continues to affect the world today. Satan is seen as the prince of this world, leading an array of forces that are opposed to God. An historical event that happened and is happening. Although disarmed by Jesus Christ on the cross, they remain a powerful threat to the church and to individual believers and will remain a threat until the final victory that comes from the return of Jesus Christ, a future event that we see coming in the book of Revelation. So Satan and his angels fall. Second Peter chapter 2 says this, For God did not spare even the angels who sinned. He threw them into hell in, a, in gloomy pits of darkness where they are being held until the day of judgment. Isaiah 14 gives us this, how are you fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning? You have been thrown down to the earth, you who destroyed the nations of the world. For you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. Instead, you will be brought down to the place of the dead, down to his lowest depths. Jude verse 1 and I remind you of the angels who did not stay within the limits of authority that God gave them but left the place where they belonged God has kept them securely chained in prisons of darkness waiting for the great day of judgment and with that if that's not enough what we see in Revelation Revelation 12 this reality of the spiritual realm, the spiritual warfare that, that occurs around us. Revelation 12, 7 through 9, then there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels. And the dragon lost the battle, and he and his angels were forced out of heaven. The great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all of his angels. So we know that what Paul is writing about here, about this battle, that, that is around us, this battle that wars for our soul, for our identity. This battle is real, it's captured in scripture. It is both history, it's present, and it's future. We know that Satan persecutes the church, and we know that, that Satan attacks individual believers. Second Corinthians 4, Paul wrote this, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. We see that, that, that Satan is active in Acts chapter 8. This is, is one of, of the, the greatest uh, examples of, of how those that are sharing the gospel, the reality of Jesus, are in a battle. Also, Notice who's in this battle and whose side he's on at the time. Before Paul met Jesus on the road of Damascus in Acts chapter 8, we see this. Saul, the Hebrew for Paul, 
was one of the witnesses, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. Stephen is an evangelist, an apostle, that gave a great testimony of the reality of Jesus Christ. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. All the believers except the apostles were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning, but Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into the prison. It's interesting that the man who did that will also write about this from the other side. In the second letter that he wrote to Timothy, we see, yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. He knows that they will suffer persecution because at one time he was a uh, persecutor. First Peter 5, we see, stay alert, watch out for the great enemy, the devil. He growls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. All of this, all of this scripture points to one reality. The reality is that the battle is real. The reality comes by way of the example of Jesus crucified for us and Paul in prison to be executed like the other apostles. Remember from early on in this series, we talked about the Spanish mystic, Una Muno. Now part of me brought this back up because I just wanted to say one more time, Una Muno. But he would give this benediction that demonstrates the battle that demonstrates the warfare against the church and against believers. Unamuno said, May God deny you peace and give you glory. And also remember what could become one of my favorite quotes of all time, Father Maltby, who used to teach that Jesus promised his disciples three things. His disciples would be absurdly happy, completely fearless and in constant trouble. That we together will be absurdly happy. If you don't believe me, come for Chile later. That we will be completely fearless and that we're going to be in constant trouble. We're going to be in constant trouble because the battle's real. Spiritual warfare is not something that we ought to ignore until it smacks us in the face and then be surprised when it does. There is an enemy that hates you because he hates God. There is an enemy that does not want you to move from death to life. There is an enemy that does not want you to understand what it means to stand in front of God and hear him say, this is my beloved child. battle is real. So let's jump back into our passage today in verse 13. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor, so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you'll be standing firm. Stand your ground. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. 
for shoes. Put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these things, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The reality of our station as the chosen heirs of the throne, the chosen adopted kids of the King, make available to us certain realities that equip us for this battle. The belt of truth. This belt is the, is the foundation of the armor. Everything else will be fastened to this belt for stability. It'll hang off of this belt. This belt of truth creates the very foundation of the tools we have for the fight. The belt of truth is our identity. The belt of truth is knowing our identity. And knowing our identity serves as a foundation for facing the battle. There is not an effective attack possible against someone who knows their identity. There is nothing the enemy can do to anyone that knows their identity as a masterpiece of the creator of the world. Jesus serves as, as an example for this. When he was baptized, he went into the wilderness and he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. In this place of hunger and exhaustion, we see this in each of the synoptic gospels. In a place of hum hunger and exhaustion, Satan tempted Jesus by offering him relief from discomfort. Relief from the discomfort if he would just sacrifice his identity. But Jesus knew who he was. Jesus knew who the Father was. And knowing that he needed nothing more than the Father, he resists because he knows the truth. So Vineyard, as we read the words of Paul, as we read Paul presenting to us the gospel of the risen Savior, we can step into our identity as a beloved of the Father, as the adopted children of the King. We can step into our identity. We can put on the belt of truth, the foundation of the armor that says you are the beloved of God. So together, my prayer for you in the Spirit now is that you would feel that belt come around you and be buckled securely with the knowledge that you are the masterpiece of the king. The body armor that Paul is talking about that is going to be fixed to this belt, the breastplate of righteousness is what some translations have. Uh, this righteousness means right relatedness. This armor that we have is right relatedness or being in right relationship, which means that we are submitted to God through faith, we can resist the enemy because we are made righteous through the sacrificial love of Jesus. We put on the armor when we soak in the instruction of the Lord. We put on the armor when we apply that to our lives. When we can see that, that Jesus has the power to change and that change becomes real, we step into this place of putting on the righteousness of the armor of God. 
when the enemy tempts, we allow our, our obedience to God to protect us and being in right relatedness to the king we're protected from the attack of temptation by reading the word of God by hearing the word of God by being in accountable relationships with other followers of the king by praying together by submitting together to God by doing those things we put on the body armor of righteousness. And so my prayer for us here now with the belt of truth buckled around us, I pray that we'd feel the righteousness, the armor wrap around us, envelop us as we together enter into this ministry of reconciliation. On our feet, go the peace that comes from the good news that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. On our feet, the peace that comes from the knowledge that before we knew him, he knew us. And even in that place, how we were, he loved us in that place. That in that place, before we knew him, he died for us in that place. His love for us began before we loved him. He died for us before we loved him. When we're tempted to worry, when we're tempted by the chaos of culture around us, the chaos of life, the chaos of the holidays, the chaos of everything that's coming this week, when we are tempted by that, we remember that we were purchased at a price by the king of the world and there is nothing that he hasn't defeated that he's our dad the strength that comes from that knowledge there is nothing that he hasn't defeated and he's our dad we allow peace to come because we are united to him and we're united to each other. We have we have this knowledge of the battlefield but along with it we have the knowledge that we face nothing alone. Put on the shoes of the gospel of peace. Roman soldiers those that Paul would know and see also would carry shields. These shields would be covered with, uh, with like a heavy animal hide. I don't know why I think that, uh, I don't even know if this could be a thing, but I kind of like to think that this would be like rhino hide. Like, not just, not, not like, like cow hide, like this is rhino hide, but that's my shield. You can have whatever, whatever you would like is, is fine, but mine is rhino hide. These Roman shoulder, the soldiers, they would carry the, the, this shield of heavy animal hide. And before a battle, they would, they would dip their shield in, in water. And, and that would like saturate into the, the material. And that water then would extinguish any of the arrows 
that would be lit on, like, that's one of the things, too, if you think about how creative the, the, the mind is and all the different ways that we think of, like, harming each other. You know, well, this arrow, man, it'll just go right through them. Yeah, but what if we lit it on fire? Like, anyway, that's a different sermon. That's a whole different sermon. But they would dip their, their shield into the water so then it would extinguish these fiery arrows that, that would be shot. Our faith serves like this shield. Our faith in God, our faith that God is who he says that he is, that he's going to do what he said that he's going to do, because he already did what he said he was going to do, serves as the shield that extinguishes the fiery darts that are the lies from the pit of hell. Our faith, like this shield, has to be wetted down from time to time with the living water of God's word and the encouragement that comes from his presence in prayer and in spiritual practices. The reason that we celebrate things like the church calendar is it reminds us of what God has done and what God will do. And our faith is built. The reason we offer to pray for each other at the end of every service. This is not a religious activity. When we call folks up forward for prayer, this is the opportunity to wet the shield of faith. So we take up the, field, the, the shield of faith. We also wet it down with the presence God. The helmet of salvation covers the mind. This helmet of salvation covering the mind, we know that the mind in and of itself is a battlefield as well. The knowledge that we are saved by grace allows us to surrender our thoughts to Jesus and remember the Father's character and his faithfulness. So our mind, washed and renewed with the word of God, is able to face temptation and the lies of the enemy because we know who our Father is. With the knowledge of who our Father is, with the knowledge of what our Father has done, with the knowledge of what our Father will do through us and with us, we can put on the helmet of salvation. And now, with the helmet of salvation carrying the shield of faith, the shoes of peace, the breastplate of righteousness, all on the foundation of the belt of truth. With all of those things, now we go on offense. The sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, the most effective offensive weapon in the history of the world. It can be used to defend. It can. But it becomes the weapon that makes the enemy powerless when we allow the Word of God to be demonstrated by our lives. We take up the, sport, the sword of the Spirit. When we think about verses comments that Jesus makes about how the world will know that we love him by the way we treat each other. The sword of the Spirit 
defeats the lives of the enemy is we go on offense first by treating each other as co-beloved children of God but by demonstrating a path to the same for those that we meet in the time between the Sundays. So back to this final word, stand your ground is what Paul said. Stand your ground. You have the armor of God. Not just the armor of God. You have the most effective offensive weapon in the history of the world. Stand your ground. Be aware of the battle. Be aware of the warring parties. Put on the armor of God and stand your ground. After we stand our ground, my favorite part, we counterattack. Verse 18. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. That's it right there. We are now in the counterattack. We are now on the offensive. Pray in the Spirit at all times. When we are praying in the Spirit, we are on the offensive. There is not a defensive call in this. We're not praying in the defense. We are attacking. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Imagine this. Not only are we praying for all believers everywhere, all believers everywhere are praying for us. How can we not enter this battlefield with courage, knowing that every believer is praying for us? Pray in the Spirit at all times, on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And pray for me too. Ask God to give me the right word so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for Jews and Gentiles alike. I am in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador. So pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. Now, if you get my weekly email, you know how I finish every single video. And this is why I finish every single video the way that I do. I always say that I'm praying for you. And I ask that you would pray for me. I do that because of this passage right here. This is our counterattack. This is how we cover each other. This is how we have no flanks. There is no way to be outflanked when we're praying for each other. There is nothing the enemy can do on this battlefield. It doesn't mean he's going to stop trying. It doesn't mean that, that, that we taunt him. But we can confidently say, let the battle come. We know our identity. We are submitted to the king. We know what he has done. We know that all of that is what he said that he would do. And we know that our faith is an example for others. And that faith can lead others to the throne. We can operate in our authority as full heirs to the throne by calling dad into any situation at any time. 
We can ask for protection for each other. We can ask for wisdom for ourselves and for others. We can ask for guidance. We can simply just ask for presence. And we use prayer as a way to offer all of that to each other and the family, but also to those that still are still captured by the chaos of life. We pray for each other. We pray for those that don't yet know God. We pray for more of God. We pray as our bold we pray as our bold action to advance the kingdom. One word on spiritual warfare that is also helpful. It's helpful to know what the enemy is up to. It's helpful to know his plan. It's helpful to know his objective. It gives us the ability to kind of get ahead of it. And, and this is something that, that, uh, that, that Alan Hodges would, would say often, is that the goal of spiritual warfare is to get you to quit. And it's that simple. The goal of spiritual warfare is to get us to quit. The goal of spiritual warfare is to, to get us to quit even before we put on the armor of God or to forget that we're even wearing it in the first place. But what happens when the lies of the enemy come, when the attacks of the enemy come, when this battlefield becomes real for us, when we get tempted to quit, what typically happens is that, that it is manifest in relationship. We quit relationship. We, qu- we quit all of the things that that, that that leads to. We quit being for each other. We quit praying for each other. The goal of the enemy is to get us to quit operating as children in a family. The goal of the enemy is to get us to quit supporting each other. The goal of the enemy is to quit being in unity. The goal of the enemy is to get us to quit. Because when we quit doing those things, we quit everything. We quit praying. We quit reading the scripture. We quit talking to each other. We quit supporting each other. We quit living. And when we quit living, we're back to that place of death that Paul called us out of through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have, the, we, we have this knowledge of what the enemy wants us to do. He wants us to quit. He wants us to isolate. He wants us to be on our own. He wants us to be destroyed. In that battle, we know we're not alone. And we have the armor of God as we enter the fight. Back to our passage today. Closing out the the book of Ephesians, verse 21. To bring you up to date, Tychicus will give you a full report about what I'm doing and how I'm getting along. He's a beloved brother and a faithful helper in the Lord's work. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, so that you know how we're doing and to encourage you. Peace be with you, dear brothers and sisters. That's got to mean something more at the end of this letter, right? When we see that, that's got to mean more. After seeing all that Paul wrote, hearing him say that, that's got to be, I can't imagine, it's the first readers of this, hearing about the family of God that they're adopted into, hearing it put in this 
in this perspective for the first time and then hear Paul end it with peace be with you dear brothers and sisters may God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you love with faithfulness may God's grace be eternally upon all who love our Lord Jesus Christ this final greeting in this letter summed up is this it's peace because we're a family peace because we are adopted children of God one father that chose us and rescued us it's also grace grace on us on all that have met Jesus on all that that met Jesus responded with faith and stepped into a life forever changed by this freely, freely given grace We receive the blessings together. We pass it on together. We, united as the activity of the living God, accept our place at the table, and we invite others to do the same. So what can we say after three months in the book of Ephesians? I think we can say that we are aware that we are in the fight, but also that we don't fight alone. We can say that we know our identity, and we also know that the authority that comes with that identity. We also know that we are united together as a family. And even when we as a family are putting the fun in dysfunction, We're a family that will never stop holding each other up. As we turn back to worship this morning, and as we prepare to begin the Advent season and the holidays, remember where we started. Remember that you are the beloved of Jesus. And together, we are the church.